But you know what? I just found out that we have one of our young men from our congregation who uh, is headed to Afghanistan tomorrow uh, with the service. And so I want to, as a church, for us to take a moment and we'll pray for him. His name is Aaron, and he leaves tomorrow morning for Afghanistan. So why not? let's do that just now. We'll, we'll, we'll pray for him. God, thank you uh, for your love for us and your protection of us. And God, that's what we pray this morning. Um, as your family, as your body here, uh, we pray for one of our own who tomorrow is headed into um, a, a place um, that we know is not a safe place to be. And he is going there on behalf of our country. And, and so, God, we, we pray for Aaron, and we do pray for a hedge of protection around him. Even more than that, we pray that while he's there, his, the light of your kingdom will shine through him. That, that he will be reminded of who you are and that he will take refuge in your name and that he will be able to help others find strength and encouragement uh, from you. And God, we pray for his folks who are here this morning because I know as a parent that would be weighing heavy on my heart right now. And so we pray for them, God, that for your Holy Spirit, just uh, you would encourage them and surround them with your presence that they might know you were there. Uh, and that, that you are mindful of them as well. So, God, thank you for that. And, uh, and we, we, so we pray all of this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for being a church like that. Who will? I mean, when we hear of something like that, we just stop and we pray. That is huge. Listen, today, uh, if this is your first time here, really glad you're here. My name is Mike. As Michelle mentioned, I'm the lead pastor here. And we have been looking at the life of Elijah. And uh, just to catch everybody up to make sure we're all in step, in case you missed it, the very first week, Elijah bursts onto the scene. He basically comes out of nowhere. We don't know anything about him. He bursts onto the scene, and he gets up in the grill of the king of Israel at that time who, by the way, is the worst king, the most evil king that Israel ever had. So it was a very dangerous thing for him to do. But he gets all up in Ahab's face and, uh, and basically throws down in the name of God. And, and then God sends him. He takes him away from the situation and puts him in seclusion because he's preparing him. As, as big and as dangerous and as powerful as what he just did was, he's going to do something bigger and much more. And so God takes him into seclusion and he, he, uh, he prepares him for what is yet to come. And while he's in this seclusion, God does miracles for him to, to help him and then through him as well. And then last week, Adam was talking about uh, he took on, so Elijah takes on 450 prophets of Baal. If you miss that, it was basically, you know, Old Testament ultimate fighting championship uh, style uh, throw down there. And uh, Elijah defeats the 450 prophets of Baal. As a matter of fact, they all end up dead. And that really angers the king and queen, Ahab and Jezebel, because those were their prophets of their false god. And so now they want to kill Elijah. And so Elijah now has to go into hiding. He's, he has just had this incredible victory, and now he's up against this uh, wall of fear because they want him dead. And so he goes, and God finds him in a cave. And I don't know what you would think God would say to his prophet, to his man of the hour. Uh, I don't know if you think that God shows up and says, hey, suck it up, buttercup. Uh, get back in there. Uh, we're going. That's not what God does at all. God listens to Elijah, and then he does send him back into the game because Ahab and Jezebel's reign is about to end, 
and he is to go anoint a, a new king. And, you know, when you have a strong leader like Elijah, sometimes you think, sometimes you think their time of leadership will never end. Sometimes you hope, sometimes you hope. You ever had one of those leaders? You just hope their leadership time never comes to a close. But today what we're going to see is the beginning of the end. Not the end, but the beginning of the end of his ministry and what God is going to do to prepare for what comes next. So we're looking at what happens immediately after what Adam talked about last week. So if you missed any of those, I want to encourage you to go to our website. You can check them out there. Uh, but this happens immediately following uh, what Adam talked about last week. So check this out. In First Kings chapter 19, the Lord said to him, to Elijah, go back where you came, the way you came, and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazel king over uh, Aram. Also, anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Mahalah to succeed you as prophet. So that's what he did. He went from there. He found Elisha. He was plowing 12 yoke of oxen. Actually, he was driving the 12th pair. And Elijah went up to him, threw his cloak around him. And Elisha left his oxen and he ran after Elijah. And then he said, you know, before we go, can I I need to go back and kiss my mom and dad goodbye. And then I'll come with you. And Elijah said, sounds like a good idea. So Elisha left him. So Elisha left him, there we go, and went back. (laughs) And he took his yoke of oxen and he slaughtered them and he burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. And then he set out to follow Elijah and to become his servant. So just to remind you again, Elijah has just crawled out of a cave where God has spoken to him and to encourage him. And he's been battling fear. And the very first thing that God does is he provides a companion for Elijah. So he's had this time of fear. So God brings someone into his life. Uh, He raised up someone who would become a close personal friend, someone who would love Elijah, understand him well enough to serve him and be able to encourage him in difficult times of life. Which, by the way, I just want to stop long enough to say that's why here at MCC... We value community because we believe that God created us to live in community and actually do, right? We believe we're created to do life together. As a matter of fact, we think it goes all the way back to the creation story. It's hardwired inside of us because when Genesis tells the creation story, it says that God created the world in how many days? Okay, six days, right. Because on the seventh day, he did what? He rested, right? So in six days, he did all of the work. And when we're reading through Genesis, the first five days, God is creating the world and everything in the world. And at the end of each day, if you've read this, maybe you remember, God steps back and he looks at what he created and he says what? That is good. Boy, do good work. Yeah, yay, me. And so he does that for five days. But on the sixth day, he creates Adam. And he steps back and he goes, yeah. Very good, right? Uh, he really did. I mean, he did his best work on the sixth day. And, and so in this world, specifically in the Garden of Eden, where God looks and for five days, he was saying, this is good. And on the sixth day, he says, that's very good. Everything seems to be going great. He looks and he says, uh-oh, that's not good at all. Matter of fact, Genesis 2.18 tells us that God said, it's not good for the man to be what? alone. So I'm going to make someone who will be a helper, a completer for him. Now that verse in context, obviously talking about Adam and Eve's relationship, marriage, the relationship between men and women. But I would contend that that principle doesn't merely apply to marriage. 
It applies to friendship. As a matter of fact, in Proverbs chapter 17, uh, what we read is that a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. On your notes should be this quote, a loyal friend is one who knows you well enough to ruin you, but never will. The Bible's full of this type of thing. Ecclesiastes chapter four reminds us two are better than one. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands, you are not going to be able to break that very easily. You know, back in the summer of 1989, Mark Wellman made a promise to himself. He wanted to climb the sheer granite face of El Capitan in Yosemite State Park. Now, I don't know what you know about this. Two months ago, uh, Alex Honold became the first person to uh, free solo climb the 3,000-foot wall without a rope. So he climbed up the front of El Capitan with no rope. Took him three hours and 56 minutes. Mark Wellman couldn't do that. Because he's a paraplegic. But he was determined that before the summer of 89 was over, he was going to climb up El Capitan. So on the seventh and final day of his climb, the headline of the Fresno Bee, one of the papers out there, said, showing a will of granite. And then accompanying the headline was a photo of him and his uh, climbing companion, Mike Corbett, because he had Mark Wellman on his shoulders. And the caption subtitle read, paraplegic and partner prove no wall is too high to scale. Isn't that interesting? This is how they climbed El Capitan. What many people don't know about this story, though, is that Corbin had to climb El Capitan seven times so that Corbett could climb it once. He climbed that seven times during that week so that Corbin could climb it one time. I just want to say whether you're facing adversity You're trying to overcome an obstacle. You're trying to accomplish a goal. You're just trying to make it through the day. You you need people with you. That's one of the things the Bible says over and over again. We need friends. Here's the second thing I want to make sure you catch about Elijah and uh, the leadership plan. There, There is no plan B. As we look at what God is doing, there seems to be no plan B. Verse 21 says, so Elisha left him uh, and went back. And he took his yoke of oxen and he slaughtered them. And then he burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and he gave it to the people and they ate. This is one of those times in the Bible that we use as a proof text for grilling steak. And uh, I assume there's corn on the cob somewhere in this story just didn't get mentioned. I don't know why. Uh, But the question is, why did Elisha do that? It's almost like he's saying, I'm burning plan B. There's only plan A. I'm going to follow God and that's plan A. There, there is no plan B. Obey God is plan A, and that's all it is. And I got to tell you, as a father, my children, if my granddaughter comes to me at some point later in her life and, and tells me that she's got a plan like that, I, I'm liable to say, you know what? I'm so proud of your faith, your desire to serve and follow God and everything, but don't you think it's smart to keep your options open? You know, I mean, go follow God, but keep the cows and plows, okay? Because, I mean, who knows, right? You might need those uh, later on, and you never know when you're going to use those. But he's leaving himself no opportunity to go back to what he knew uh, as his livelihood. You ever heard that phrase, burn the ships? You ever heard anyone say that? We're just going to burn the ships and go for it. It actually goes back to a historic conquest back in 1519. Spanish conquistador uh, Hernando Cortes landed. Uh, he left Mexico uh, for the shores, uh, or excuse me, left Spain to go to Mexico, and he had one objective. The Aztecs had this wealth 
that was greater than any wealth in the world. And he wanted it. So he was committed to this mission of taking their riches for his own. And he was an excellent motivator. He convinced more than 500 soldiers and 100 sailors to set sail from Spain to go to Mexico on 11 ships to take the world's richest treasure. The historic question was, how could such a small band of of armies, of soldiers, when they arrive in a strange country, how could they swiftly bring about the overthrow of such a powerful empire? Because they'd been around for six centuries. No one had overthrown them for six centuries. So when Cortez and his men land on the shores of the Yucatan, he rallies his men for one final pep talk before they go into battle. So they're standing there, ships are behind him, and he says three words, burn the ships. His men, (laughs) understandably, have some pushback to that. They don't know how wise that is, to which he says to them, burn the ships. If we're sailing back home, we're sailing back home in their ships. So he and all the soldiers set fire to the ships, which, just so you know, uh, took their commitment level to a whole new, you know, high. (laughs) Uh, Now they're all exceeding. And amazingly, they conquered the Aztecs. What no one else had been able to do for 600 years, they did. Listen, when God is calling us forward, don't leave an escape hatch. When God calls you to something and you see where he's pointing you and you know that's the direction that God is calling you, when you are sure of that, you burn plan B. As a matter of fact, you grill some steaks, uh, that's Bible, and, and, and you go for it. But here, listen, uh, those are two things we need to recognize. This is the one I want to make sure that you see because I think this is the biggest. We need to, we need to uh, wrap our arms around this as a church. God is always preparing future leaders. This is what we see most in this story, that God is always preparing future leaders. And I want to make sure you see not just what God is doing, but when God is doing this. Because God is preparing a future leader, and Elijah is not dead. Right? You're catching that, right? He's still alive. As a matter of fact, he still has some crazy stories that are going to happen in his life. There is, listen, there's a whole army that surrenders to him. A, a whole army surrenders to this one guy. They just give up. They just, they surrender uh, to this one guy. There's a queen, Queen Jezebel. He said she's going to die. And so what happens is she gets thrown out of a window, falls several stories, splats on the ground, blood everywhere, and dogs eat her body. It's, I mean, that's awesome stuff in the Bible. Come on. Uh, uh, he, he, he causes, there's another time where he causes fire to come out of heaven and consume these men who have come to take him somewhere. He still had, listen, there are stories that God is still going to live through Elijah. But, but before all of that, God is beginning to prepare the one who's going to move into leadership when Elijah is gone. So check this out, verse 19. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, and he went up to him and threw his cloak around him. His cloak, uh, his mantle, it would have been made of animal skin or fur, and that was his covering. And so what Elijah was doing with Elijah, he, when he put it on him, symbolically what he was saying is, what has covered me in my ministry will now cover you. What has been my mantle will now be your mantle. That which I was under, now you will be under. You will be the student, I will be the mentor. And as God has been working through me, now God is going to work through you. And in verse 21, it says at that moment, that's when 
he set out, Elisha set out to follow Elijah and become his servant. I want you to understand when this is happening because it's a big deal. And here's why it's a big deal. Elijah never dies. Did you know that about him? There's two guys in the Bible that says never died. One of them is a guy named Enoch earlier in the Bible says that he walked with God and then was no more. So he never died. And Elijah is it. Isn't that crazy? Listen, some people just seem to be around forever. You know, people like that. It's like, good night. Are they ever going to leave? And sometimes this happens in your house. The Bible actually talks about this in the book of Proverbs. We read, don't visit your neighbors too often or you'll wear out your welcome. Uh, and so we need to be careful of that. Sometimes it happens in life. My dad's mom, my grandma Tuttle, lived to be 96 years old. My dad is 90 years old. My daughter said to me not long ago, with the Tuttle genes, I may never die. Uh, And I just want to say, to be clear, Tuttles just seem like we're around forever. We're not always around. We just seem to be. But Elijah was picked up by a chariot of fire, horses of fire, but he never died. So this is on your notes. I want to make sure you took this home. Even though Elijah may have lived forever, He wasn't going to be around forever. There's a difference. Dave Stone wrote this also on your notes. Every organization goes through changes and transitions. It's necessary for survival. Resisting change is a death toll. The leader of an organization must learn from the past, adapt to the future, and adapt to the present and plan for the future. And that's true whether it's a small church or a large church, if it's a family business, or it's a publicly traded company. And we recognize that here at MCC. That we are responsible to raise up and equip and encourage and support leaders from the younger generations. That that's not just a good idea. It's actually critical to being a place that God will continue to use moving forward. And we know that's not just true here. That's why we support missionaries from younger generations. As a matter of fact, two of them are here this morning. Although, I've oh, there you are. Okay, why don't you all, uh, Aiden and Chelsea, why don't you come on up here? This is Aiden and Chelsea Reinhardt. Some of you may recognize Chelsea because she grew up uh, here, right? You, you came, you started attending uh, and, uh, and, and then finished high school here at MCC, was part of our student ministry. And then she went off to college and became part of H2O Ministries uh, as a student. Yep. And then moved into a leadership position when you graduated. So you were 24 when you began working with them uh, in the Kent State area, working with students and house churches. And, uh, and so, uh, but you're about to do something else. So you've been doing that now for the last seven years. Okay, so if you're a good math person, and I told you she started at 24, you know how old she is now, right? But I, it would be awkward to ask. It's okay. 31. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> sure, at 31, you don't care. Um, okay, so, but you are headed, you're, you're getting ready to leave the country. So where are you going? We are going to Stockholm, Sweden. Stockholm, Sweden. And why are you going there? Great question, Mike. Thank you. Um, we are, yeah, very excited. So Sweden right now is at a very interesting point in their history. So I don't know if you're keeping up with news in Europe, but they really have a surging population of immigrants and refugees right now. Um, and they have graciously taken in so many, though, that they actually have more people than they have resources to take care of at this point. Um, And it's creating kind of a shaking of of hearts through a little bit of disruption in the country, which is a 
did great things spiritually. And so that reality combined with the fact that there is a simultaneous stirring seeming to happen in the believers in the country, which is just about 1.6% of the population um, are evangelical believers. So a very small amount, um, a very high population of atheists. So there's a cultural stirring, a spiritual stirring, and uh, we think it's really being evidenced in part through the believers in Sweden really hungering and thirsting and being open to gospel partnership. And that's where we come in. Um, For whatever reason, it seems like God has brought in key people into our lives and given us opportunities to go to Sweden um, and ultimately gave us an invitation to essentially go and be part of the party of what the Holy Spirit is doing there. So that is incredible. So I I, I do want to point this out because of what we're talking about today at 31 and 32. 30. 30. Oh, 30. Ooh, you married a I married man. young. Yeah, you did. Uh, all kinds of things are going through my mind. So, but, uh, so at 30 and 31, you all are getting ready. To, I mean, can you remember when, for those of us who that's in the rearview mirror, think about where you were at 30, 31. Now you're leaving the country. So um, I think that's incredible. That, to me, that's just huge. But tell me, so what are you going to do while you're there? So in terms of like our, I guess our job description, so to speak, I'll be pursuing a doctoral degree at the Royal Institute of Technology. So I just got my acceptance letter from them about two months ago, uh, which is a huge answer to prayer that now we have legal standing to actually be in the country for the next five years. Um, So I'll be pursuing that in addition to the work that we'll be doing with the church. And then Chelsea's going to, for this first year, be doing an internship with uh, a church that we're partnering with where she'll learn a lot of kind of their culture and how they do ministry and come alongside and support that. Okay. Can I speak more to that? Sure, absolutely. (laughs) So that's going to be our our roles. The the bigger work that we're going to be a part of um, is helping to build an interdenominational network of key leaders in the city around a common mission of multiplying house churches in every subculture of the city. So we'll be helping to build that network, helping to equip um, believers in the partner church we're working with in evangelism and discipleship. And then in 2018, 2019, after we've hopefully become semi-fluent in Swedish, we'll be helping to plant a church in the city. Wow. Okay. So uh, just so you all know, every missionary needs two things. Uh, and so that's one of the things we want to make sure we're going to make you available at the back of the room. They'll be right back here. Um, but there are two things that every missionary needs. Aiden, if you would. Yep. Um, so one of the things that we really would value is, is your prayer. So obviously we can go over there and uh, have plans of our own, but without the work of the Spirit, without God behind us, it doesn't matter what we do. So we would really value you guys to pray with us uh, and support us in that fashion. Uh, and then the second thing is we have some financial needs as well. So uh, to be viable there, we need to raise about $1,000 of like monthly ongoing support and then to cover the cost of training and, and actually moving to another country, we have about $7,000 that we need to raise. Um, so those are kind of the, the spiritual and the, the physical uh, needs that we have in front of us. Yeah, and so, uh, listen, so again, they're going to be in the back of the room here just a little, at the end of the service. But before we do that, I, I want to pray for these guys uh, as we get ready, all right? So why don't we do that? God, thank you for uh, raising people up whose heart is fully devoted to yours and to wherever you would have them go in the kingdom. 
And so for Aiden and Chelsea, God, just their love for you, their love for each other, their love for your word and your church and reaching people who don't know you, whether it's in this country and being willing to go outside of our borders to do that. God, thank you uh, for them and their heart. And God, as a congregation, we, we lift them up to you and, and are grateful that we get to be a part of their ministry as supporters, uh, both financially and, God, through our prayers. And so we do ask you, we lift them up to you, that you would use them mightily so that your name would be great. And we pray this through your son, Jesus. Amen. All right. Yeah, thank you all very much. Uh, Management guru Peter Drucker said, and I think this is on your notes, uh, there is no success without a successor. As a matter of fact, in his book, The 21 Laws of Leadership, John Maxwell said, succession is one of the key responsibilities of leadership. He goes on to write, achievement comes to someone when he's able to do great things for himself. Success comes when he develops leaders to do great things for him. But a legacy is created only when a person puts his organization into the position to do great things without him. Listen, we cannot afford to drop the baton as it is passed to the next generation. Raymond Woodward said, we are in desperate need of leaders who will pass the baton while they still have the strength to cheer. So think about that. Our responsibility is to not only raise up and equip and encourage and support leaders in the next generations, our job once we've done that is to become their biggest cheerleaders. True success is not achieved unless there is a successor to continue succeeding. The principle is not from leadership books. It doesn't come from leadership seminars. That comes from the Bible. When Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt through the wilderness, he took them right to the, right to the gate of the promised land, but he didn't take them in. Joshua succeeded him and took them in. Elijah anointed and then appointed Elisha to be his successor and receive a double portion of his spirit. Jesus anointed 12 to follow him and then carry on the gospel of the kingdom. And then they anointed others to follow them. Paul prepared Timothy. This is the way God designed for it to work. And if it doesn't, we have failed. And all of the success that we have enjoyed ends with us which is why one of our core values here is about generations. If you're wondering what kind of church this is, listen, we believe that we, we want to be, we're passionate about showing the next generation who Jesus is because we want to help them carry the mission of Jesus into the next generation, into the future. Brad Lomnick in his book, H3 Leadership, said the ceiling of one generation is the floor to the next. Think about that. As high as we go in our generation, that's the floor for those who will take over for us. It is the passing on of our faith. It is also the preparing the next generation to lead God's kingdom here on earth. The local church, we are the hope of the world. We are God's plan for his kingdom here. And we have to be intentional about passing our faith and preparing the next generation for leadership in his kingdom here on earth. Psalm 78 says this, My people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with parables. I will utter hidden things, things from of old, things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. We're not going to hide them 
from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders that he has done because he has decreed statutes for Jacob. He's established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children so that the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born. And they in turn would tell their children and then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but they would keep his commands. Our children will take the message of Jesus to a place you and I physically cannot go. Unlike Elijah, one day we will die. They will take the the gospel beyond our lifetime into theirs. That's That's why it is so cool when we get to see parents and children sharing and passing faith back and forth with each other. It's actually what we get to witness right now because it's about to happen in our baptistry, which is out in the lobby. So check out the screens. What an awesome celebration today is. Right here we have Natalie and Marina, a mother and daughter, who have decided to follow Jesus to be baptized, to give their lives to him. So Natalie, are you ready? Yes, I am. <clears throat> Repeat after me. I believe, I believe that Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus is the Christ. The Son of the Living God. The Son of the Living God. And I accept him. And I accept him as my Lord and Savior. As my Lord and Savior. Natalie, because of your confession and your desire to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life, you're being baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of your sins, the gift of the Holy Spirit, and the All right, Marina, are you ready? Okay. So you're going to repeat after me, okay? I believe. I believe that Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus is the Christ. The Son of the Living God. The Son of the Living God. And I accept Him. As my Lord and Savior. As my Lord and Savior. Marina, because of your confession and your desire to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life, you are being baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of your sins, the gift of the Holy Spirit, and the promise of eternal life. Aren't cat calls during baptisms the best? Uh, I love when we get to tie that right into what we're about to do. Because every week, uh, we, we take communion together to remind us that we're still living out Psalm 78. So check it out one more time. Just Psalm 78, uh, verse 4 says, We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders that he has done, so that the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born. And then they, in turn, would tell their children. And then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds but keep his commands. Every time we do this, every time we take communion together, 
we're reminding each other of who God is in our lives, that he is number one, that he calls the shots. And then we are telling that story. The Bible says Paul would write that every time we take communion, we're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again. We're sharing that information, not just with each other, but with our children, with the generations that are following us to remind them of how much God loves us and how much he loves them so that they can take that message to their generation as well. So this morning, as we hold the bread that reminds us of his body that was broken for us, and we hold the cup of juice that reminds us of his blood that was shed for us, as you uh, prepare to take those, we remind ourselves of the cross so that we might put our trust in God and not forget his deeds, but that we would keep his commands. Let's go to him in prayer. God, thank you for this time that we get to come and remember and not just talk about, not just show a picture. We get to hold something in our hands that reminds us of what you have done on our behalf through your son, Jesus. That we would once again declare that you are Lord of our lives and that we would once again say that we live our lives for the sake of your kingdom and that we bow our knee to you. God, in this moment, we remind ourselves of just who you are and who we get to be because of your love for us. So God, be blessed as we remember the sacrifice of your son, Jesus, on the cross. And we pray this in his precious, holy, and powerful name. Amen.